This is a Rook Media series, The Contemporary History of Iran, Part 32. Welcome to the Contemporary History of Iran, a series from Rook Media. This is Part 32, Persian Language Under the Ayatollahs. I'm Gian Gomeshi. Our aim with this series is to explore the events, personalities, and issues that have shaped modern Iran. We want to do this as much as possible through a non-traditional lens, through snapshots of change and using alternative voices or angles. This series is mostly in English and will feature a new episode posted every Thursday across our Rook Media platforms. We will post subtitled excerpts with Farsi Zirnavis on our YouTube and Instagram sites. We're coming to you on rookmedia.com. It is there that you can link to all of our platforms and we invite you to check out parts 1 through 31 of this series that are already posted. To become a sponsor or patron of Rook Media, please contact us through our website. All right, let's get started. Here now is the contemporary history of Iran, part 32. We often talk about the way Iran has changed in the last half century and the concomitant changes those of us who are of Iranian descent inside and outside of Iran have experienced as well. But what about something as simple as the words we speak and the way that we speak them? The Islamic Revolution of 1979 created seismic shifts in Iranian society, infrastructure, culture, politics, economy. But what effect did it have on language? How has the Persian lexicon and vernacular changed since the period of the Shah? And what impact did the Islamic Republic's attempts to Islamize the primary language in Iran have on the way Persians speak? To address these questions, I'm joined today by a linguist who has studied such matters very closely. Dr. Khatereh Shaybani is an Iranian-Canadian scholar, author, and curator of Iranian cinema and Persian literature and culture. She received her master's degree in linguistics from the University of Tehran and her doctorate in comparative literature and film studies at the University of Alberta. Dr. Shabani's book entitled The Poetics of Iranian Cinema, Aesthetics, Modernity, and Film After the Revolution was published in 2011. She has written numerous pieces on modern Persian literature and Iranian and Middle Eastern cinema in literary and film periodicals such as Iranian Studies and the Canadian Journal of Film Studies. She's also established multiple courses in Persian studies at York University in Toronto, where she is a professor in the Humanities Department. And right now, Dr. Khatereh Shebani joins me from Toronto, Canada. Hello. Hello, uh, Mr. Romeshi. Uh, thank you for the kind introduction. Thank you so much for, for being on this program. Please call me Gian, and I really appreciate sure. that you're, you're doing this with us. Uh, you know, I want to get into how the Persian language has shapeshifted in the last half century and certainly since and because of the Islamic Revolution. But mm -hmm. first, I, I know one thing that linguists often remind us of is that language never remains static. So, um, in other words, revolution or not, I guess we might expect that the Persian language will have changed in the last five decades, yes? Yes, definitely. Language uh, is dynamic. If language becomes static, at that moment, uh, that language is dead. Uh, like, so we have some artificially preserved languages nowadays, uh, like Latin, like Sanskrit, like Old Persian, but they are dead because basically they are static. They are frozen in the time they were used to be uh, spoken by uh, language users. But uh, a live language like modern Persian 
is dynamic. It's like a living thing. It evolves with time. So, so uh, it, it follows to say that, uh, in general, not only should we not um, be fearful of change in language, but we should embrace it as a as a measure of uh, a dynamic language. Is that, that, that as a general yes. rule, right? Exactly. Yeah. With, with with that said. Uh, again, if you can give me a general answer to begin with, because we'll obviously get into specifics. Do you believe, notwithstanding that language is fluid, uh, that the Islamic Revolution of 1979 had a direct impact on the Persian language? The short answer is yes. Yes, the Islamic Republic um, had an impact on language, uh, both directly by uh, state policies that were um, implemented after the Islamic Revolution and also by the way people responded to such uh, ideological mm. um, decisions made about language. So, yes. Interesting. So it's not just the way the state dictates it. It's the response no. to the state that can shift the language as well. Exactly. Language users are not uh, just receivers of certain linguistic patterns. I mean, other than the state, when a new medium of communication is introduced, like radio, for instance, mm. or television, or cinema, all of these media, they also brought new linguistic patterns. Some of them were accepted by people. Some of them were not accepted. And even some of them were used ironically because people ridiculed that, that you know, right, certain right, right. linguistic patterns right. that were used. So going back to the changes made by the Islamic regime from the Pahlavi era, it's important to be reminded of the changes that were made during the Pahlavi era because language was a means to introduce modernity to right. Iranians. Right. I was going to say, I mean, our focus is the, what happened after the Islamic Revolution, but, but even going back to the Constitutional Revolution and thereafter in Reza exactly. Shah, there was an effort to Persianize the language first, right? I mean, for over exactly. the 20, course of the 20th century. Do you want to actually speak to that briefly before I ask you about the categories of how we sure. assess change? Yeah. Uh, before even I go into this, I should mention that in any language, language is uh, directly related to a thought, to thinking. Mm. And uh, when people's uh, thinking and people's way of perceiving the outside world changes, their language will also change accordingly. Mm. Um, so when Iranians, uh, they had this aspiration for more uh, freedom of thought and expression uh, during the uh, constitutional revolution. And as a result, I think there were uh, new linguistic patterns that were used by authors, by poets, such as Malik Shuara Bahar or Iraj Mirza or Arif Qazvini, the constitutionalist poets started using a simple everyday language that was more accessible to people by de-Arabizing the language, that by not using those, you know, very sophisticated Arabic words that normal people didn't know what they meant. And that resulted in the revival of Maktab uh, Khorasani, the Khorasani movement in uh, Persian poetry. So they called themselves the revivalists. Can the you revivalists. give an, an example of that? I mean, as we go through this, we will mm -hmm. obviously be using Persian terms that we can then um, translate into English. But what's an example, sure. of, uh, example of simplifying the language as you de-Arabize it? So, for instance, they started, these poets started to read more of uh, classical works such as Shahnameh, by going back to Shahnameh, they started to, you know, dig in words that were used in Shahnameh mm. um, and then use them. These uh, ideas of de-Arabizing was also uh, supported by Reza Shah. During the first uh, Pahlavi era, they uh, 
initiated uh, Farhangistan Zaban wa Adab Farsi, the right. Academy of Persian Language right, and Literature, right. to basically what they meant to do to the so-called cleansing uh, Persian language further. Hmm. You know, it occurs to me when we talk about change in language, I mean, I... I'm going to impose on you to do a bit of a, a very, very simple and quick linguistics lesson for us that, because I know change is kind of an omnibus term, but it, it can mean a few different things. You've outlined that there are a number of ways we can observe changes in language. So if I can walk you through just some of them, and maybe you can give us examples of what you've observed in the case of Persian language. Uh, first of all, I mean, quite simply, we can note change in phonology. That's the sound of words, right? What, what does yes. that mean? Yeah. Uh, phonological changes means we have sound patterns in, in language and sometimes uh, phonological take place but they take place less often you know that's the one of the most conservative patterns of almost any language but especially in Persian and would we For have seen instance, any of that in the last few decades we have seen uh, very little and uh, the changes in phonology are uh, very gradual and over centuries rather than decades you okay. see phonological changes uh, if you consider the three main dialects of Persian uh, that are Farsi that is being used by Iranians, Tajiki uh, used by people of Tajikistan, and also Dari, Farsi, Farsi Dari that's used by people of Afghanistan. We see more phonological changes in sound patterns in Iran. For instance, this uh, use of semi-vowels like Au uh, in Raushan, uh, in Nau. Now means new. We don't have that semi-vowel anymore in the Persian used by Farsi speakers in Iran. Huh. So we use we say no. Nowruz no instead of Nowruz. Right, right. Nowruz. It's Nowruz. It used to be, but we don't say now Nowruz anymore. We say Nowruz. So we simplified it. What about spelling? What what do changes in spelling, the spelling of words, represent, and where we yeah. where might we see that? So sometimes we see uh, spelling and dictation changes. This is also done less frequent in the especially formal or written language, but you see more frequent changes in the spoken form. So you might say we don't write the spoken form, but I, I can say yes, we do. This spoken form or the informal language is used in media, social media. Mm. I mean, when I say write to my uh, mom in Iran, <laughs> In WhatsApp, I use that language to write my, my message, mm. you know? So yeah. I guess the biggest or main category would be lexical changes in language, mm -hmm. changes in the very lexicon. Um, mm -hmm. what, what is an example of that? Uh, I mean, I'm going to get into what happened after the revolution, but just an example in the case of Persian mm -hmm. of how the lexicon has changed over the last century, half century. Right. Yes, the lexical changes are uh, happening more frequent and this area is the most uh, playful part of language in Farsi. I don't want to go too theoretical, but one of the reasons is that Persian is a synthetic language. Uh, so we generate uh, new words by adding, for instance, suffix or prefix to the mm. verb or noun stem. And this is partially because of generational transition. Right. So from generation to generation, they tend not to use the language that was used by their parents. Right. So for instance, um, the new words that are also uh, new to me, like anten. Uh, anten is uh, like antenna. <laughs> it means Adam Furush, the person who spies on others. Oh, so that that word on is ten. <laughs> on ten. That's a totally new word. 
that's a rather new word I didn't uh, heard it before or you know before maybe in my generation the word for used in slang word for a beautiful woman uh, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit sexist also I should say was hulu like peach um, mm-hmm. this woman mm-hmm. looks like hulu <laughs> but these days they use other words like doff yeah <laughs> yeah doff and puff puff is right, right, right. referred yes. to men yes. and doff or you know back then when a person looked you know not very I mean, it looked like like a person who had just come from uh, the uh, a smaller remote place, not as sophisticated or doesn't know the social etiquette of urban places. They were called, for instance, Dohati or Ozgal. Nowadays, they use different terms. They call them Javad. Huh. Or Khaz. I didn't know Javad meant Dehati. I thought that there was nuances. <laughs> <laughs> Javad is a proper name. It's a male name, right? Right, right. So right. Again, t- they they might say Taraf Khali Javade. Yani this person is not uh, doesn't know the social etiquette. Right, but it's if not, I were to say yeah. Javad to my mother's generation, they wouldn't necessarily. Possibly they may not understand it. You or they know? may they certainly wouldn't have used it 40, 50 years, mm, years ago. No. No. Uh, so okay. So you and finally there are s- semantic changes. Just give me an example yeah. of how semantic changes happen with the Persian language. Every word ha- is loaded with meaning for any uh, given generation, for any given community. The semantic um, connotation of uh, these words uh, sometimes change with socio-political changes. For instance, farajenahi. Uh, farajenahi in Persian means um, beyond party. That was a u- term used by initially by authorities the, in Islamic Republic for people who wanted to reconcile the uh, fundamentalist, more fundamentalist groups with the reformists, they called themselves Farajanahi. Okay. Like, we are the people who could work and have dialogue beyond parties. So nowadays, Farajanahi is used in a, uh, an ironical, you know, uh, way by people. Like, the person who could adapt to, uh, for their own you know benefit could adapt to different ways of life could be friends with everyone <laughs> right the person who doesn't have like principles moral principles so the word you know? itself has shape-shifted to, to, <laughs> yeah. to mean something i guess yeah. more more pejorative in fact to poke fun right. of uh, the terminology used by the I mean, Islamic Republic ah, people, okay. Islamic right, Republic, I see. you know? So there's that, that element too, that it's... Exactly. It's, uh-huh, uh-huh. Or the word, for instance, cactus. Cactus is a type of plant, right? Yes. So when these days, the younger uh, gener- kids, I call them kids because they are teens. and So the kids see a mamure entezami, a cop, right? Mm-hmm. They say, there is a cactus there. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> What, why why For cactus? Example, what, uh, uh, because they have thorns, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, that's so, <laughs> so that's they, fascinating. They might say, uh, they are in Khyaban uh, Gandhi, they are in Gandhi Street. Yes. And uh, they might say, beware, if you are going to Jordan Street, there is a cactus there. <laughs> <laughs> That's or fascinating. there's a car full of cactus. I want to come. Let me come back to cactus because I, I want to ask you where these words actually um, emerge from. But let, let let me get back to you know. I appreciate that you've tried to you, you know in a in a expeditious way take us through some of the ways that you linguists actually assess change. So 
you talked about the fact that despite the fact that language is fluid, we established that, uh, and, and dynamic, that there were political and ideological um, elements to sh- shifts in Persian language that came with the Islamic revolution. So there was a stated mission and expectation of the power elite of the Islamic Republic to Islamize the Persian language. Exactly. What yes. would that mean? In the early 80s to early 90s, um, there was a very systematic effort done by, you know, authorities to Islamize the language by coining new lexicon and by changing the semantic connotations of existing words and, and idioms. Also, they were using uh, media such as radio and television that were state-controlled to popularize words related to religion and Islam. Okay. And also in Islamized film industry and what they called cinema defa'e muqaddas, a war, genre of war movies that were state-funded and state-supported. They were using these terms, like always the good person in a movie, Islamized movie, was called Haji. Hmm. You know, Haji was the good person. Which is actually a term for someone who's traveled to Mecca. To Mecca. That's tantamount to a good person all of a sudden. And then the villains of the movies or in TV series where normally they had pure Persian names, like Siavash. (laughs) Siavash was the smuggler. Or Shahriyar was the thief. Or, you know... So there was an active attempt to demonize Persian names? Exactly, exactly. To what end? What would they gain from making Siavash a bad person's name? Because... All of a sudden, you know, from the time of constitutional revolution up to Islamic Republic, Iranians were seeing themselves as a nation. We had nationalist ideals. And all of a sudden, there was a change. I mean, the, the government, the Islamic Republic, wanted to change the idea of Melat or nation to Omat. To Islamic nation. Right, right. So they wanted to sort of uh, construct the idea of we are Ummul Qura. That even the word is Arabic. We are the mother of all Islamic countries. So this transition from Melat to Ummat had to be implemented by using, by encouraging people to use Arab big words for their children well language would become fundamental you know when you want to create that much of a a change and i mean it's it's like Khmer rouge it's like cambodia it's like year zero we're gonna erase Mm. everybody's memories and restart right Uh, that's exactly uh, that language becomes a big part of that yeah for quite a while the statistics department. They had a list of names approved by the government that you could use uh, for your children when you were trying to get the the birth certificate. Wow. Say yes, exactly. That's quite quite crazy. So for quite a while, the male name Shahriyar was not permitted by Edar Sabta Ahwal, and it was quite arbitrary. So you had to try. Um, I remember when I was uh, going to, I I was in the hospital, so my husband went to get the birth certificate from Edari Sabta Ahwal. We had a few names in case one of them was not allowed, we could use the next one, you know? So presumably names like Ali and Muhammad are exactly okay, right? Always, always, right. you know, they were encouraged. And the more people uh, resisted to this uh, ridiculous idea of, ha- I mean, watching movies in, uh, in which all the bad guys have Iranian names and all the good guys have Arabic names, eventually they had to respond i mean the film industry had to respond 
So now there is a change. So uh, beyond film, I mean, how? Mm-hmm. Just f- first of all, on the mm-hmm. on the street, as they say, you know, um, mm-hmm. h- how effective was this attempt to? I mean, before we get to the the way the defiance or resistance to this has affected language. Uh, just on a simple level, how effective was this attempt to Islamize the Persian language? I mean, did in those first 10 years after the revolution, mm. the Persian language in Iran become more Arabic, more Islamic? It became more Islamic in the first decade, for sure, because, you know, for several reasons, people were, were still in shock. I mean, we had more serious uh, problems to deal with. One of them was an eight-year war and the aftermath of the war we had to deal with. And also many people lost their jobs because of the revolution. Um, There was a um, fundamental change, you know, the upper uh, class were almost diminished and the people from rural areas and less educated got uh, certain you know very key roles in society so i mean um, because they they represent less of a threat because they are less uh, intrinsically tied to that the the old Mm -hmm. sort of elite including the language right you know the oppressed became the oppressor in a way i mean layer of social strata that was called mustazafin the oppressed they became the oppressors they got key roles in committee mdad sepai pastoran they went to war after a few years in war they came back as war veterans and they had a, you know, a certain social status. And they have status, both cultural and presumably economic, certainly political, to be gained by using a more Islamic language. By using more Islamic words. Right. And those Islamic uh, terminology, for instance, one of the uh, terms they used was taqut and taquti. Taqut, if you go to Farhang uh, Deh Khoda or Deh Khoda Dictionary, you are going to see there are different uh, meanings associated with Taqut. Taqut is a word, uh, it's a Quranic word, I believe, meaning evil, uh, related to Satan, sa- okay. Satan, Satanic, okay. or it means also magician or oppressor. So when they would confiscate someone's uh, house, Say, for instance, the singer Gugush. People might have said, why this house is confiscated? They might have said, this uh, house belonged to a Taguti. Wow. You know, so for a, wh- for a while, I think people uh, were using this, this terminology or the term Paksazi to cleanse a system from uh, basically, the professionals, they call it Paksazi. Which is actually a very scary term. It is. Uh, it's, it I is. mean, cleansing is, the whole idea is um, deeply offensive. But that, that becomes commonplace, to use that kind of term? It became, to some extent, commonplace. I, I remember my parents coming from work. So my mom f- looked horrified, and she was in complete shock, and she said, Oh, you know, today this person was Paksazi shot. So that we knew that this person is not retired or she didn't quit her, her job or, you know, whatever. She was cleansed out of the system. But, uh, Dr. Shebani, there's, I mean, there's, when there's a political dimension to the language that is allowed or not allowed after the revolution, mm-hmm. it also occurs to me, it, it means renaming certain words or activities to the level of, of, of absurdity. I mean, so, for example, exactly. dance, dancing mm-hmm. was banned after the revolution. It's still right. a, a problematic in Iran. So right. so then they face an issue with what, what happens to the actual word for dance because yeah. they, they don't want to encourage anybody to dance. So explain what happens in that. I mean, I happen to know this, this one where it, it, I mean, if it wasn't so heartbreaking, it's really quite funny. So it's, yeah. it's comedic that they're twisting themselves in circles to change the lexicon, right? 
So what happens to yes. dance? Um, dance is now called in the more formal uh, language used in even a secular um, literary magazine, right, in Iran. I'm not going to name uh, any any of them, but uh, they have to call it harakat mozun, like balanced movements rather than dance. Because dancing is uh, supposedly decadent and it's related, I mean, quite outrageously, for some time they considered dancing equivalent to, I mean, certain activities like uh, drinking, gambling, prostitution. Right, right. But I think, you know, almost as mad as it is to ban dancing, almost worse is you to not even be able to say the word. I mean, it's quite. Mm-hmm. Did it would, would it have gone to the extent where you you know if you're out on the street, you're not even allowed to say rachs. You're not allowed to say the word for dance. Uh, on the street, you know, one of the major ways to I mean for Iranians to get some form of psychological relief is talking politics on the streets uh, and middle class normal neighborhood in Tehran, for instance, in Yusufabad, in Vanak, in, I don't know, Abbasabad, in Velenjak. It's quite normal for people to express uh, their concern and their disagreement with governmental decisions. So, I mean, going back to the word dance, no, of course they were using the word raks. I mean, the term harakat mozun looked quite funny. You know, right, and so there, there's words like dance or or the word for alcohol that mm-hmm. uh, they they didn't want to use because they've mm-hmm. banned these things. And then there's words like shaw, um, mm-hmm. which also became problematic. And and here you've got, mm-hmm. I mean, cities, towns named with the mm-hmm. word shaw in them. Uh, exactly. What was the thinking around banning the word shaw? At the beginning, once again, in the early 80s up to early 90s, uh, this term, Shah, was the maybe most uh, problematic word or term they were trying to fight with. For instance, you mentioned the name of uh, some cities in Iran. For instance, Shahrut. Shahrut was initially called Aram Shahr. Then it was called Islam Shah because people hated the name Aram Shah. Then they called it Islam Shah. They hated it even more. Then they, they called it Imam Shah. And eventually people of Shahrut said, look, we have great icons belonging to Shahrut. They were from Shahrut. Shahrut was Shahrut from the very beginning of its history. So we don't like that uh, name or the the name of the city Kerman Shah. It was uh, changed to Qahraman Shah first, the city of heroes, and then it was changed to Bakhtaran. And eventually they had to, I mean, because they saw the civil resistance, yes. they had to go back to Kerman Shah. But in some other cases, people, I guess, accepted that name in some other places, such as Shahi. Uh, that's a city in um, northern Iran by mm-hmm. the Caspian Sea. So it is Qa'im Shahr. What was the, I mean, uh, we our very first episode of this series, we talked about the the transformation of Maidana Shahyad into Maidana Azadi, mm-hmm. you know, and how a, yes. a symbol, that, that the same building, the same structure, the same place can, yes. can shapeshift overnight in terms of, and part of that was the renaming of it, of course. But exactly. that is a an obvious, you know, um, building that is, or, you know, a monument that is built as in dedication to the King of right. Kings, etc. Um, exactly. With these other words that happen to have mm-hmm. Shah in them, what was mm-hmm. the actual... Where was the regime coming from on this? Was it just we want to erase any memory of, of of the Shah, so we don't want the the word said? I mean, what? How would they legitimize this? The the the, the you know, uh, going through an obstacle course to change the names of cities. I guess um, it 
showed how much they were they felt threatened by the idea of maybe a coming back of a royal system in Iran maybe I mean Reza Shah his formal name was Reza Shah he was the Shah of Iran and his name was Reza Shah I remember after the revolution all of our books in Persian books in history books Persian literature books and so forth the name Reza Shah was changed to Reza Khan Reza Khan Mir Panj instead of Reza Shah Pahlavi right even they were not using the term Shah for the previous dynasty the Qajar kings for a while Muhammad Reza he was called Muhammad Reza Muhammad Reza Shah Pahlavi was called in our books initially Muhammad Reza in which Muhammad Reza <laughs> you know right right <laughs> right. For just practically, it does. It makes less sense. Uh, so, I mean, in the same way that a ban on alcohol or dance mm. has ultimately been a failure, people are going to do what they do. Mm-hmm. So is the case with a ban on language, because as you mm. intimated earlier, and as I want to segue us into now, how has resistance or defiance of this current government regime in Iran affected the Persian language. Exactly. Just the way you see civil uh, disobedience on the street level uh, with the fashion uh, uh, choices, women especially, but also men, uh, make these days. You see the linguist on the linguistic level, you see this uh, civil disobedience. I have uh, friends who are from, uh, I mean, Bandar Anzali or Bandar Pahlavi. That's a city in Iran. So I have seen more and more my friends from Anzali or Pahlavi call it Pahlavi once again. You know, it's a, it's a like a form of resistance. Or uh, nowadays the term Haji that was used to, I mean, in Iranian television to show this very pious, very mystical uh, character was called Haji. Now this term sometimes is used ironically mm. to poke fun of, you know, a person who is who, a hypocrite who tries to look in a way that he doesn't look. I mean, he's not in, in reality. Also, among the marginalized groups, uh, we see that resistance among, for instance, the LGBTQ community of Iran. Right. For instance, the term degarbash. Degarbash means a person who is has different sexual tendencies, different sexual orientation, but it, it doesn't look like a pejorative term. So, so presumably yeah. the terms one is using, whether it's to describe mm. someone's um, sexual orientation or their, the town they live in, I live in Pahlavi or mm. whatever, um, is a way of situating them politically or, or to suggest I'm not with the, the program here with this regime. Exactly. You know, for instance, for quite a while um, since the beginning of the revolution, they were trying to... Uh, produce more what they call the so-called soldiers of Islam. To reproduction has been, I mean, um, encouraged by uh, the clerics mm. from the very beginning of the revolution. They wanted to have more popular, I don't know f- exactly why, because people are suffering economically, but they want to have more, 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 and reproduction is, and there is a resistance, not only that, but also to marriage, uh, while marriage as a religious uh, institution was encouraged, now that religious aspect uh, is taken away in Ezdavaj Sefit, in uh, white marriage. Right. They are still, they feel committed to one another, but uh, they don't want to have that religious certificate, you know? What, what what are the implications for language with that? For language, the terminology, they they use now a new term for that. Ezdavaj, yes, it's Ezdavaj, but it's not the 
traditional ازدواج right. you were talking about mine is ازدواج سفید right white marriage right yeah how, how yeah. do we um, Dr. Shebaning we've had a number of people who've come on this show who've talked about um, an in- increase in the use of English words being in- integrated mm. into contemporary into the contemporary Persian vernacular mm. in Iran and this is an interesting development because you know on the face of it certainly people mm. who are not Iranian or don't study Iran would think well there's challenged relations between Iran and the West and so the last mm. thing they would expect is for English to be uh, making its way into into the Persian vernacular how, what mm. how do we make sense of that and where does that fit in with these changes and the resistance etc Yeah. In generally speaking, any culture that um, um, finds popularity in an external culture, in an external community, would bring linguistic patterns with, uh, I mean, that culture. When, for instance, uh, say in medieval uh, era in Iran, People who uh, considered themselves as the learned, the literati, they would use more Arabic words because it looked more complicated. It it showed that they have better education, uh, for instance. You some know? level of sophistication. Some somehow. level of sophistication. Uh-huh. And then you come to uh, 18th century and 19th century and the introduction of French literature by... French translators, because among the very first Iranians who went abroad to study, they went to France. So French became this language of prestige for the learned people. Even up to the generation of my parents, they used terms such as uh, agrandissement, rendezvous, prestige, prestige dare, in car prestige dare. Uh, and so forth. And then uh, language, English language is nowadays the dominant language in pop culture. There is no, I mean, um, dispute about that. Right. It's the lingua the franca rappers. of the world. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Iranian kids are also in the middle class society from Islamabad to Tehran to Istanbul. <laughs> they use English words to show Uh, not only a level of sophistication, but also to show that, yes, I know Kanye West. I have heard hmm. this rap music. I know this person. I am familiar with that movie, Hollywood movie, that Netflix movie. Uh, so but that's sure, surely why. that's not, I, I'm guessing that's not looked upon fondly by the, the current government in Iran. Of course not. Also, on another level, it goes back to the idea of uh, defiance. Right, it's a thumbs up. Yeah. It's a, it's a it's a thumbing of the nose uh, towards yeah. the the authorities, right? Here I am yes. using English words. You can't you can't contain exactly. me. F you, right? Uh, earlier uh, after revolution, English books in our school system were getting uh, smaller and smaller and then Arabic books were getting, you know, Uh, more, you know, substantial. Mm. That also comes with resistance because they wanted to impose more Arabic words. And the more they imposed those Arabic words, the more people tried to use loan words coming from English, Mm. the language that was despised by government. Right, right, loan words, right. Mm -hmm. You've, You've said that Shifts in the Persian language, like this, for example, like the adoption of English words or like the semantic changes or like the, the new words that have been, um, I'm, I'm coming back to cactus. <laughs> Just wait, I've got to ask you about cactus. But, but you've said these shifts in Persian language almost always come from within Iran rather than, say, from the diaspora. Why, why is that the case? Uh, yeah, in any diasporic community, given the diasporic community, but including the Iranian diaspora. We, in a way, we get frozen in time when right, we right. left the country. Right. So some of us, I mean, I came in the uh, 90s here, 1990s, I mean, and then 
I saw people who came in the 70s and I thought that they were frozen in time <laughs> and possibly some might think that I am also frozen in the 90s people who are now coming from Iran do you notice so that do you, do you notice that you speak differently from an Iranian immigrant yeah. in Toronto who would have come say five years ago uh, I am a linguist, so I try to use the com more common. <laughs> <laughs> so in my case, I try to keep abreast with uh, the. Right. Uh, You're on top of things. Right, right. I try to. I try to. But at the same time, there is this generational gap. But, uh, yeah, I mean, going back to cactus. No, 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 hang on, hang on. I'll get to cactus. <laughs> yeah, I've got to ask you specifically. But, but this it's so interesting because it plays out in funny ways in, in sometimes in that um, I, I, I don't even know if I would fairly say that I'm completely fluent in Persian. I mean, I can carry a conversation, but some of the sophisticated language I have trouble with even if I understand it. Um, mm. um, and yet there's always a, there's regularly a moment amongst the Rook team or, you know, my folks, my colleagues here <laughs> when I'm speaking yeah. Persian, because they say, well, where did you learn this word from? You're coming up with some crazy word that hasn't been used in <laughs> decades. And it's because yeah. I learned my Persian from my dad and my mom. Yes. And, you know, yeah. my dad left Iran in the sixties. I mean, they, they were, they came to Canada in the seventies. So, so, yes. uh, I, <laughs> I'm speaking yeah. really a, a Persian that my dad would have learned in the 1940s and 50s in Iran, um, right. you know, this, which is like a, an outdated kind of tongue, right? And yet to me, yes. that's Persian. Um, and so I, and I'm trying to mix that in with somebody who's come from Mashhad a year ago. Um, mm. So it's, it, it's a very interesting insight into how this language is elastic, I guess, like all languages. Mm, exactly. Also, I mean, something that uh, is uh, used as a bridge between us, the Iranian community outside of Iran, with the people who live inside is social media nowadays. Right. So because, I mean, quite interestingly, when blogging was introduced um, in the Internet, the Iranian bloggers were positioned number four of all languages after english i believe spanish portuguese if i'm not mistaken but certain platforms become more urgent because um mm. the, it's a difficult um because communication is difficult with folks in iran and in some ways so for, for currently mm. i would say the of the moment is clubhouse that that uh, a platform that exactly. really has already died for most of the rest of the world english mm -hmm. people barely use it but it's very very popular and dynamic still in the persian space because it's uniting people from within iran and outside right. of iran so let me right. let me come back to cactus because um <laughs> uh, i on a previous call with you i was actually um, talking to you about the the word khafan which means i think <laughs> means cool right or something yeah right so this is about 2 years ago a social media influencer said to me she was she said, you know what if you really want to sound up to date you start mm. calling things that you think are cool khafan <laughs> you know and <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and but I mean the funny thing is is that a, a couple of people you know my mom's age that I mentioned the word to they, they didn't they'd never heard of it they don't even know what that is right so mm. this is clearly something that has emerged and I'm guessing emerged out of Iran within yes. the last few few years I mean when did Khafan start do you know I think uh, the first time I heard it it was in back in 2000 and uh, three or 2005 okay around that time i heard that so it's word. a 21st century yeah. word right exactly so where yes. does my question to you is where <laughs> does a word like khafan or mm. or cactus <laughs> uh, where where do these words come from and how do they become devoid of um a media within Iran that can mm. get, that can be you know spreading these words around um, because obviously you're not going to hear Khafan or cactus on mm. national Iranian you know radio and television. Mm. Where, how, how do they <laughs> how do they emerge as regular parts of the lexicon? Um, back before I think social media was born, it was normally comedians uh, or 
uh, authors of a deg- certain degree of popularity, they used to um, coin new words in, in Persian. Also, radio had a place and television. There was a program called Sopejum Ebashoma, and it was a comedy and terminology used by those groups mm. were also used uh, among or I mean certain TV series such as Daijan Napel on right, you know right. San Francisco uh, for sexual discourse or you know terms that were used uh, in Daijan Napel on but nowadays that uh, response I mean sort of position is uh, taken by more innovative and creative language users in social media so they either coin those terms or they popularize those terms so the cactus uh, to to refer to a cop is mm-hmm. um is something that somebody would see in social media in social media also another uh, term for uh, cops in iran is felfel saps the green pepper <laughs> the green pepper um, yeah, uh, sabs or cactus, depending how you know serious that person is, you know. You mentioned sexual discourse you, 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 mm-hmm. a moment ago, and I wanted to ask you about that mm-hmm. um, before I let you go. I want to ask you about taboo words, taboo language, or more underground language. I, it, this would seem like an obvious one after the revolution that talk about sex or language about sex and sexuality would would be problematic. Um, and this is sort of a double whammy because it's also difficult in a um, in a highly patriarchal society anyway. So what what has been the fate of of talk about sex in the last 43 years after the revolution? Oh, you know, on one level, uh, some of your listeners might say that this patriarchal system uh, made talking about uh, sex and, uh, and also, not only sex, but also uh, gender uh, relations quite difficult. It was taboo. On another level, I should also say that Persian is a language that is enriched by, um, I mean, jokes that are sexually oriented too, hmm. you know? So, I mean, take a look at Obeid Zakani, uh, the poet Obeid Zakani, and the work that he produced in the medieval era. And you see so many um, sexual jokes in that book. Take a look at Iraj Mirza's poetry belonging to constitutional revolution, and also to the book Daijan Napel on written by the late Iraj Pezeshkzad. You see the, those sexual jokes, and it's a reflection of Iranian society and how, uh, I mean, on the level of uh, making jokes, it's always okay, but talking about sex as a serious sort of discussion uh, is not always tolerated. But on another level, once again, social media has helped uh, um, the newer generation to talk about sex, to talk about their sexual orientation in a more serious manner, not jokingly, but mm. in a more serious manner. And the, it made the older generation more tolerant towards such talks. You've also talked yeah. about the presence of taboo words and swear words being much more prevalent, like in ascendancy in recent years, uh, mm-hmm. as evidenced by a Tatalu concert. Why, why, why do you think that's the case? I think it's a form of uh, defiance. I mean, uh, not every form of... I don't want to put myself in the position of... of in the judging position, uh, so let me talk objectively. Uh, yes, using um, obscene words in a Tatalu concert, for instance, is being abl- applauded by audiences. Even though uh, at points I realized when I was watching uh, parts of it on YouTube that he was in, I think, in a, that's what I got, maybe I'm wrong, but he was in a way insulting some people among the audience. Uh, and yet it was applauded. 
And also, don't let's not forget that in any given culture or generation, musical uh, community, singers and songwriters, they are rebels mm. to the mm. status quo, to the establishment. But I mean, outside of the Tatelu concert, do you see that more generally, that more, um, um, yes, for lack of a better term, of vulgar course. language is becoming more commonplace um, in Persian? Of and, course. Uh-huh. I mean, even the swear words don't have the same heavy semantic load that they used to have. Have you heard... Um, uh, that's a song by Ali Azimi. Of course, yes. Yes, he uses the word F, F word, you know? Yes, the F word. And yes, it's, yes. It's, it's it's tolerated. It's, a, it's applauded. Uh, I mean, that people love yes. that song. Yeah. Yes, um, it's tolerated. And also other rappers like Tohi, Hossein Tohi, Tumaj, uh, Yas, uh, they use uh, terminology that was uh, maybe not, uh, I mean, used or tolerated for maybe Ebi audiences, you mm-hmm. know, or Gugush audiences. Yeah. But I, I, it's interesting that I wonder if that is political or if we always, if we see it political because everything in the, through the lens of I- Iran and Iranians, it has to be political. In other words, you know, there's kids using vulgar language in Western music too, right? But mm-hmm. but we don't necessarily always go, oh, this must mean they're against the American state. I mean, unless they're mm-hmm. uh, overtly saying that. But we think that in the Iranian context. Um, of course, words are not as simply banned in, in the, mm-hmm. the Western context. So that, that makes it more political, mm-hmm. I suppose. Uh, any change in linguistic pattern that goes against theocracy or uh, this religious imposed uh, linguistic patterns to my in my mind is a political act a final couple of questions what what impact do you think the growth of persian media um, and popular culture resources in the diaspora. I mean, it's it's a very 21st century phenomenon to have these big Iranian TV networks now and radio networks that are operating outside of Iran, well-funded, being watched in Iran and around the world. What, what impact is that having on the Persian language? Of course, uh, always there has been impact from... Uh, mass media among audiences. Nowadays, I see more of a sort of interactive way in the the manner they impact one another. So I mean uh, the older traditional uh, outlets such as BBC Persian Mm -hmm. or uh, Iran International. Uh, I mean, they should incorporate some of these linguistic patterns that are used in social media as well, even though they are considered as the traditional uh, sort of media, uh, but they have to incorporate what's been used in among, um, you know, younger generation, even in underground culture. So under culture, you know. So I see this, there is more interaction. And also, you know, the terms where, that are used by people on the street, it has uh, found its way in, in, in uh, more traditional outlets. Right. For instance, the term suhtbar and kulbar. So th- there are uh, smugglers who take uh, either petroleum uh, from uh, Sistan Baluchistan, the province of Sistan Baluchistan to Pakistan, instead of calling them qachachchi or smugglers mm. of fuel, there is a more dignified term. I mean, there is more sympathy in the term suhtbar. And that's relatively new? It's a rather new term. I just heard about this term uh, last year. Um because of this um, corruption and this uh, socioeconomic disparity that we see, people uh, try to dignify them. 
Of course, they are taking the fuel, uh, smuggling the fuel, right. but they call them suhtbar. But it's amazing how language can do that, can telegraph, exactly. because there is a different implication to smuggling mm. in, you know, out of Iran or any, than there would be to doing so out of Canada. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, it, so that that is fascinating. Do you, a, fi- a final couple of questions, and I know these are, are mm. difficult ones to answer. They're sort of big picture questions, but let me throw them at you and, and see what you think do you think uh, beyond the the resistance and the defiance and the and the 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 language and the vernacular and the, the lexicon that that's that's come out of that mm. what do you think the persian language has lost as a result of the revolution of 1979 i don't think uh Persian language lost anything. It's getting more enriched by, uh, I mean, the more experiences, the more cultural experiences we have, the more uh, worlds that we see as language speakers, we enrich our language. Fair fair to say it couldn't be killed. No, it couldn't be killed. And I embrace change. I don't see it as a threat because... I, to me, a language is like a, like an inn, a hotel, um, semantic patterns, lexical patterns, even syntactic patterns um, that are against the so-called norm of that language may come, they may reside in this, uh, I mean, vessel of language for a while. Some of them are going to be owned by us so in other words they become residents of our language some of them may travel and they might be forgotten Um, so that's the 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 nature of any language any human language including persian loan words come and go most of the time Lo- loan words back to the mm. the use of sort of uh, English or something in the Persian language. Is it absurd to think that, given the rise of China as a superpower and given the proximity and the the ties with Iran now, that there would be Chinese words or, or chi- a Chinese effect on the Persian language in the in the coming decades? I I wouldn't be surprised, uh, but uh, you mentioned the Chinese. I should also mention another Asian language that's gaining prominence in Iran among the middle class, and that's uh, South Korean. I have heard that there are uh, South Korean language classes in in Iran nowadays, and um, the newer generation are crazy about Korean. And one of the reasons is the Korean, South Korean media. The, even on Netflix here, you are going to see yeah. a whole bunch of Korean movies. Yeah. And because of that, Korean is gaining momentum in Iran. <laughs> yeah, I, and I mean the so. the big boy bands and all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What What do you think? Again, this is these are sort of the, the big big picture speculative questions. But what do you think would happen to the Persian language? If this current regime were ever to be removed from power, would it would it make a difference to the way Persians speak Persian? You know, Jean, I guess our uh, previous generation made a mistake when they were um, they they hoped for a change of regime, the Pahlavi regime, without knowing what type of regime is going to come after this one. You know, they thought that anything is better than Shah. (laughs) So I don't want to make that speculation because it depends what type of regime. I mean, God God forbid, is it going to be a more, you know, fundamentalist regime? Right, right, right. right. Replacing this one or are are we talking about a more secularized regime? Look at uh, Farsi Dari under the Taliban. I think Farsi Dari is currently is being threatened right. once again. I mean, I think that uh, there is a tension, a, a very um, harsh tension between Dari and Pashtun in, in, in Afghanistan at the moment. 
thankfully in Tajikistan, Tajiki is even producing more and more, uh, I mean, works of literature. And going back to Iran, I'm not sure, honestly. No matter what happens, I think we are beyond that uh, complete and total authority and in, uh, linguistic imposition by states because of social media. So we are in social media, uh, the newer generation are creating new linguistic patterns regardless of who is in power. Dr. Khatre Shaymani, I, I must thank you so much for all the time you've given us today. Um, this has been enriching, educational. It's been a, um, a dynamic experience getting to, to, to talk to you about language, and thank you for this. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. It was uh, my pleasure. Khodafiz. Khodanigahdar. Dr. Khatre Shaybani an Iranian-Canadian scholar, author, and curator of Iranian cinema and Persian literature and culture. She is a professor in the Humanities Department at York University. We reached Dr. Khatir Eshebani in Toronto, Canada today. This is full time for the Rook Media series, The Contemporary History of Iran, Part 32. Please check out our regular editions of Rook and all things related to this series and our regular Programs at rookmedia.com, our website, rookmedia.com. Thanks to the amazing team who make Rook Media happen, talented Anahita, Super Parisa, Smart Pega, Ponce the Artist, Savvy Roham, Ahai Mehrdad, Captain Reza, and Groovy Shaya. Thank you to all of you out there for supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe if you have not done so already on any or all of our platforms. Find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi. And as ever, Mizun Bashin.